All right, we are um, finishing our Wisdom for Life series through the book of Proverbs this morning. Um, and as David comes up, I will read the scripture for us. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor. Enduring wealth and prosperity, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you. Thanks, Cindy, for reading the scripture for us. Uh, as she just mentioned, uh, we are concluding our series through the book of Proverbs that we've been in this whole summer, which I hope... Hope it's been helpful and, and fun for you. Uh, by the way, I haven't mentioned this. I'm David, pastor here at, at the church. Excited to be here with you. Uh, I hope this, this has been a helpful series, too. We've covered a lot of ground, a lot of practical topics. Speaking, listening, self-control, faithfulness, family relationships, pride, humility, friendships, and, and a few others. So I hope there are things that you can, you can glean from uh, through, through, through the, our time together in the book of Proverbs. I'm excited for our next series. I'm sounding a little echoey. I don't know if that's me or you guys hear that, so I'll just leave it to you guys. Um, but I'm excited for our next series that's coming up soon that we are calling Imperfect Together. It's going to be a vision series, Imperfect Together, how God uses imperfect people to extend his perfect love. I figured since our three-year uh, third birthday is coming up, it'd be good to get back to the vision and mission of the church to remind ourselves of what that's all about. Uh, so that's, that's to come. Be sure to join us for that. Uh, but today, again, we are concluding our study through uh, the book of Proverbs, this Wisdom for Life series, and we've come to the topic of money. Uh, money is something Proverbs talks a lot about. Uh, just the, the, what was just read in terms of the scripture compared to what is covered over the whole scope of the book in terms of money, it was just the smallest of fractions. Proverbs talks just a ton about money, and the Bible itself talks just a ton about money. Jesus himself talked about money more than anything else other than one topic, and that is the kingdom of heaven, which means Jesus actually talked more about money than he talked about love. Um, why? What's this reason for all this talk about money in the Bible? It's because there's a very real power for money to exert over us without our even knowing it. And God cares about our hearts in the matter. I listened to how Frederick Nietzsche, German philosopher who said God is dead, listen to how he put it when he, when he uh, talked about how with the growing absence of God growing in Western culture that we would replace God with money. He said, what induces one man to use false weights, another to set his house on fire after having insured it for more than its value, while three-fourths of our upper class indulge in legalized fraud? What gives rise to all this? Is it not real want? For their existence is by no means precarious, but they are urged on day and night by a terrible impatience at seeing their wealth pile up so slowly. 
and by an equally terrible longing and love for these heaps of gold. What was once done for love of God is now done for the love of money. In other words, for the love of that which at present affords us the highest feeling of power and a good conscience. Now, we talk about this in the theoretical realm. That's good. That's helpful. But you have heard me share before how a CEO of one of the biggest tech companies in the area has gone on record to say that we essentially live in the richest part of the U.S. If you look at, according to certain measures, we are in the richest part of the U.S. while also the most miserly. The Silicon Valley has the most resources, in other words, in some, to some extent, while also hoarding it the most. And we just know that just cannot be. And what the book of Proverbs does is it helps us understand that the wise doesn't just look at topics like the ones we've been covering, including money, and think, oh, the problem's just out there. The wise start with the assumption that, no, the problem's probably in here, in my heart, in our hearts. Uh, you know, Nietzsche talked about our, 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 you know, following after money like a god. Jesus talked about the very real dangers of this when he said, you can't serve both God and money. And he said, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Um, so what we're going to do is we're, with this understanding and trying to understand what Proverbs is, is saying about money, we're going to look at how do we use money wisely? What is the wisdom for life offered here in the book of Proverbs when it comes to money? And what we'll see is Proverbs gives us a very balanced understanding about money. It's a very balanced approach. You know, it talks about the good, it talks about the bad in order to equip us to use it wisely. So that's how we're actually going to break this down, categorize it. There's too many verses to cover from, from Proverbs on the topic, but we're going to look at it in the categories of the good when it comes to money, the bad, and then draw some principles in terms of how we can use it wisely. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how relevant and practical it is. Uh, Father, would you just give us your spirit now? Uh, we ask for your spirit as we just uh, seek to learn from you and your word. I ask for your, spe your spirit now as I seek to teach it. Help me to get out of the way and teach this faithfully and clearly, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first, the good when it comes to money. It may be surprising, but the book of Proverbs actually has a lot to say in the positive about money. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say that's positive about money. Uh, I imagine for, for uh, any number of you here today, uh, if you, especially if you grew up in the church, chances are you've, you hold more or less a negative view when it comes to money, that money's like this necessary evil. Uh, maybe even when I mentioned the topic moments ago, you thought, oh great, here's going to be a guilt trip sermon, <laughs> or here's going to be, you know, here's going to be a sermon about how going after money is just, just utterly wrong. No, uh, money over and over throughout the book of Proverbs can be good, very good. Money can be used for good. Money can be a sign of God's goodness in our lives. Look at Proverbs 10, 22 in, in, in verse 15. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and without, pain, uh, without painful toil for it. Proverbs 10, 15 says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Uh, Proverbs often, though not always, speaks positively about wealth and money. While at the same time, Proverbs very often, though not always, speaks negatively about poverty. Uh, it's very real in this regard. It never overly romanticizes poverty or being poor. Uh, money can be a sign of God's blessing. After all, God created the world to be prosperous, in a sense. 
If you look at the very few, first few pages of the Bible in the, in the first book of Genesis, you see that God created all things, and then he created humankind, and then he gave them, and then through them, us, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. That's saying, be prosperous. And by the way, fill the world with prosperity. And then if you look at the very last uh, book of the Bible, the last few pages, you see that when God creates the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be a really prosperous city there. Uh, God is not against uh, prosperity. Uh, God, uh, God often uses money for good and is a sign of blessing in our lives. Now, there's, of course, exceptions here, and we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But money can be a sign of God's goodness to us, God, and God wants to bless. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will, be, will brim over with new wine. Uh, the principle here, the emphasis here, is that in comparison to our giving back to God and his, with his giving to us, we can't outgive him. We can't outgive God. He wants to bless, and when we worship, like we were just doing moments ago through song, we worship a God who is merciful and abounding in love and blessing that he wants to pour out on his people. We can't, give out God. We can't outgive God, and God uses money to bless his people. Now, when I say that, or when I even read verses like these, I imagine there's any number of you that probably squirm at this, uh, if you've, if you, especially if you have a broader uh, understanding of the large strokes of the Bible and what it has to say about money. When I say things like God uses money to bless us, some of us squirm. In fact, I squirmed writing those words uh, in preparation today and speaking them out loud just now. Uh, because if I say God blesses you with money, or at least he can do so, we can easily be misunderstood. We can me- easily miss what's, uh, what's being said here. That's because there's a very real fa- uh, false teaching out in the world. By the way, incidentally, that was birthed out of here in America. Uh, a, a false teaching that, is birthed, that was birthed here in America that, is, that is just, uh, it just permeates a lot of Christianity across, across the globe. And that's the false teaching commonly known as the prosperity gospel. I wonder if you've heard it. Or I wonder if you know about it, even if you've never grown up in the church or understand kind of these, these thoughts. I wonder if you think that, yeah, the Christians believe these things. Uh, the 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 prosperity gospel is exceedingly dangerous in this regard because it takes the verses that we've looked at and others similar to it, and it, and it extracts, extracts, extrapolates part of the truth and makes it the whole truth. So, for instance, essentially what the prosperity gospel teaches is if you give to God, he will give to you, by the way, in the form of material blessing. He's going to make you, your life wonderful. And that's not just when you give. When you have faith, if you really have faith, then he'll give you what you want or what you, what you, you know you need. Um, now, how do we respond to that? What does the Bible say to that? Well, first, while God may bless in ways like these, he won't necessarily bless in those ways. But secondly, and more importantly, these verses that we were read in one's life have nothing to do with the American dream that has been imported into them. Uh, these verses have nothing to do with a promise of a life of luxury uh, that is often interpreted to be the case. Uh, there's nothing here that says, man, if you give to God, he's going to give you the best, most satisfying job. Or if you give to God or you really serve him, then you're going to get a house with a white picket fence, which what would that even look like in the Silicon Valley? One of our townhomes actually had a plastic white picket fence. I just thought that was really funny. Um, we just need that little image. You know, if you give to him, then you'll get that type of card that everybody aspires to or whatever it might be. 
there's a false teaching out there that's, that's sadly believed by many, even in the church. Um, now, does God speak about money positively in his word? Yes, he does. And are there blessings when we give back to him? Yes. So what are we saying? Uh, we don't have to leave the book of Proverbs, actually, to find, find some perspective and find some answers. Look at Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Does that phrase sound familiar to any of you? Hopefully, if you've been here with us for a while, you remember a series when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples, his followers to pray. He said, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And when Jesus said, you know, seek me, seek, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, and then all these things will be added unto you, he wasn't saying, and then you'll get the house of your dreams, the job of your dreams, you know, relationship of dreams, or whatever we might put in there. He's saying that God will provide. He'll take care of your needs. You don't need to worry about those things. Our daily bread. Or even more helpful, look at Proverbs 8, 17 through 19. This is, of course, written from the perspective of God speaking. He says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Do you know what this means? I love this. You know what this says about the prosperity gospel? That if we just really believe that, man, if I just follow him, if I just give, then, then man, he should give me this. What this verse is, that we just read is saying is if we believe the prosperity gospel, we're actually selling ourselves infinitely short. We're actually missing out because what are true riches? True riches, the best of riches, is God himself, is to be in a personal relationship with him, our father and our provider and our redeemer, uh, and to look forward to the beautiful eternity that is beyond anything that we can imagine in this life. That is where true riches really lie. Um, I've mentioned this before once from the stage. Um, I've had the privilege of being able to, to travel a little bit of the world, and I've seen some of the poorest parts of the world, and it's been my experience in some of these poor parts of the world, and by the way, this is true on certain continents as, as it is true on others, at least from, from my, my experience, of some of the most joy-filled people on this planet are actually Christians living in some of the most impoverished circumstances. Um, now, I'm not trying to romanticize poverty here, okay? There's a lot of issues, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, miss out on that, on that reality. But some of the people I have found to have the most broad smiles on their face and have the most joy in their hearts are Christian believers following the Lord in, in places where there's no running water, where there's just nothing in terms of material things. Um, how can that be? It's because the greatest blessings are not in the form of material wealth. And we know this. God can, God does use material wealth to bless us. Yes, he does. But you know what? In some respects, that's, more of, that's, that's, that's some of the least of his blessings in our life. And in fact, to the extent that money can be a blessing in our lives, truly is to the extent we recognize it as, a, as, a, as, a, as God's goodness in our life and experiencing him and his provision for us and his love for us. Um, Money can be good and is good. Here's what we're saying, at least up to this point, is that it could be good because it helps us experience God in our lives. Uh, 
Here's also how money can be good. It's a way in which God wants to do good through us. In other words, it's a way in which we can partner with him. Wealth can be used for much good. And this is all over the Bible, starting at the very beginning. For instance, with the calling of Abraham, who is really the calling of all people who would come to follow God. God to Abraham, one of the biggest promises he said is, hey, I'm going to bless you that you will be a blessing to others. God does bless, but it is always with the intention that we in turn bless others, care for others, serve and love others. Uh, And this is just all throughout the book of Proverbs, most specifically in the form of giving generously. Uh, Here's what it says. Money can be good, but we need to be generous with it. Uh, Proverbs 11.24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. The generous will themselves be blessed, Proverbs 22.9, for they share their food with the poor. Uh, There's actually much we could say to this. But let me just summarize the thought here. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, does that mean we give, that we serve, or we give in order to receive a blessing? Is that ultimately the goal? I don't think that's ultimately the goal. I think ultimately the goal is we do what it is God designed us to to do, and we we experience the joy of that. You know, the image that kind of comes to my mind is, is a person just kind of standing out in a beautiful day and just taking the sun in you know, 75 degrees, whatever, and just, just experiencing, and that, that's just the way things, it's just beauty and joy in that. I feel like when God says that he blesses it in order to bless us, he's trying to say, step into what I've created you to do, who you are meant to be uh, alongside me, the partner with me in this. And so money can be used towards good, for, for the good of others. Indeed, God blesses us in order for that to happen. Here's what I think we're saying. Here's what I think uh, it's come to me as, as I kind of like parse all this and kind of put it into a thought. It seems to me that in these, through these texts, God is inviting us to test him. It seems to me that God is saying, hey, with your wealth, with your finances, will you trust me? Will you give? Will you give generously? Will you give to my work? Will you give to others? Test me in this and see that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Just, just try it. See what happens. Um, because he wants to not just do a great work through us, he wants to do a great work in us. I almost want to say that's actually the bigger thing that's involved because he doesn't need to do, he doesn't need our help to do good in the world, frankly. He doesn't need you and me. He doesn't need our, our finances. It almost seems, seems that he wants to do it through us because he also wants to, and maybe even more importantly, do a work in us. Uh, and that money is a means to do that. So there's much good in money. Well, here's the bad, okay? Here are the dangers of money. Uh, let me summarize it. Uh, the main one, which is repeated throughout Proverbs uh, over and over again, it essentially is saying money cannot give you what you really need. Money cannot give me what I ultimately need. Here's another way to put this. Money is good, but it makes for a lousy God. Um, it cannot give us what we ultimately really need. So, for instance, Proverbs talks about how money can't give us true security. Look at Proverbs 18.11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it too, uh, a wall too high to scale. I love that. That's saying we can use wealth. You know, wealth can exert such a power over us just through our imagination. It's saying that, man, we can just, whether it's in the front of our mind or in the recess of our minds, we have these dreads, these fears that are just there that we believe money can just help and solve if we really need it. Uh, it's an insurmountable wall. But I think if we really think about that, we know that not to be true. Money can't give us ultimate security. 
For instance, I've, I've had somebody really close in my life, part of my story, who just, just used a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy for the sake of their health. Just lots of money, just for the sake of their health, only to at some point, sadly, be diagnosed with a condition that ultimately ended up taking their life. Um, we can seek security through wealth by going hard after it. Um, and that's not to say, hey, having some security and using money towards that end is bad, but no, if we make it our ultimate thing, it can be. But we can also seek security through wealth by hoarding it. You know, this is kind of the other side of the coin. You know, by being overly concerned with frugality. And dare I say this, now this is just David's musings, okay? So this is, I, I, this is just my thinking. It, it seems to me that Christians especially, put myself in this bucket, we can, we can make going after security through frugality the danger. Because it's really easy to say, hey, it's all about being frugal, it's all about saving, it's all about, and, and make it out to be this really pious thing, this really holy thing when really we're actually missing out on giving generously, loving, and serving others. Don't hear me wrong. Saving is good. In fact, that's in the Proverbs. You know, uh, caring for, you know, the needs and looking ahead and being wise with what we have. Hey, I'm not, you know, taking away from that. That's good. But if it becomes an ultimate thing, if it even leads us to miss out, then we're, we're not following uh, what God has ultimately intended for us to do with money. Uh, here's Proverbs 28, 22 puts it this way. The stingy are eager to get rich, and unaware that poverty awaits them. Now remember, poverty here doesn't just mean a lack of money. For us just being stingy, then we'll just lose all our money. Poverty here also means that we're just going to miss out on the true blessings of being with, partnering with God. And some of the best ways we do that is to, by giving generously to the needs around us, loving and caring for those that he's put into our lives, being a part of movements in, in our lives that are towards this end. Uh, saving is very important, but it can't cost investing in eternity, investing here and now, meeting tangible needs. Again, this is not to say all money is bad. Material possessions, saving, or whatever it might be, going after money is all bad, but if it prevents us from these things, we're missing out. Um, are there places that you've put, uh, you've placed your trust in money for security? Uh, second thought, when in terms of money can't just satisfy us, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, be everything for us is it can't satisfy us. It can't truly satisfy us. Uh, because we often seek to use money for satisfaction, don't we? Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 say, say it this way, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. It's a, it's a beautiful metaphor. It's saying it's better to have God and nothing than everything without God. But I love the imagery here, okay? Now, I, I do need to say for my uh, vegetarian and vegan friends here, this, this proverb probably is not going to do much for you. It's not going to land home because uh, it's saying better is a little bit of like, you know, the green stuff, the herbs. Better is arugula, kale, green beans. Some of you are like, I'm all about that. So, okay, this proverb is not going to hit home for you. But for those of you guys who are like more of the barbecuers like myself, uh, uh, this will hit home, okay? <laughs> You're like, oh, I gotta have that. I gotta have that meat. Um, it's saying it's better to have a meal that's essentially all arugula. <laughs> I want to say that's just terrible, but no, it's not terrible. I had to do a diet, and hey, it didn't taste. It didn't taste great. It was terrible. Okay, anyways, it's better to have. <laughs> it's better to have a meal that's only arugula, and a table filled with great relationships. And you think about that in terms of our relationship with God or our relationship with others, then to have a meal that's like a Michelin star steak 
on our plate, but a table filled with hatred. Um, isn't it ironic that we could chase after money and whatever, by whatever means, often, especially in the Silicon Valley, it's through work. You know, just we chase so hard after money, but miss out on the very things that we're chasing after money for. You following me? Like the, the, the people around our table, we work so hard and we miss out on, on that. I was talking to one of our leaders in the church uh, who's an incredible storyteller, filmmaker, and I was asking him about his process on, on uh, writing scripts and just kind of like the themes and his process and all that sort of thing. And it kind of came up that he has a main theme that kind of carries throughout uh, his different projects. He said his, the main theme that kind of covers all, all these different ones is there's more to life than work. And I thought about that, and I've been thinking about that. I'm like, man, that's a message that needs to get out there. Because you don't need to be a part, you don't need to live here in Silicon Valley to know that we can just go whole hog hard for work, for money, for making it big, whatever it is, IPO, and yet miss the very things that we know are more important and the reasons we're doing that anyways for. Um, we can't lose perspective. Money can't truly satisfy. Uh, going after work hard, going after success, I mean, all of that. Money can't satisfy. It can't give us ultimate security. It can't ultimately give us what we need. Money can be good, but it's not going to save us. Money can be a blessing, but it's not going to make us a blessing. Um, so if we want to use money wisely, we need to hold the good and the bad intention. How do we live wisely with money? Uh, it's a, you know, the last higher level thought, and I'm going to just gonna summarize this with, with two principles. How do we use my, money wisely? Number one, the wise will see that money is a window into what they worship. Huh? Well, listen in. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 say, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. That word honor is the same word to glorify. We were just singing about it in one of our songs. It's the same word uh, as, as worship, which the old English word used to say it this way, worth-ship, W-R-T-H. It's, it's, it's our worth-ship, um, which is really helpful because Thinking of it this way in terms of money, whenever we buy something, we're declaring something's value, are we not? We're, we're declaring its worth, how much we're willing to sacrifice for it. When we worship God, either by song or is studying his word or whatever, serving him, uh, we are ascribing worth to him. We are praising him, we are honoring him in these ways. We're showing him what we're willing to sacrifice because of who he is and what he's done for us. It's similar when we spend money. It can show us a window into how we worship or what we ascribe worth to. Uh, there's this really helpful article out there of a guy writing about Venmo. Any of you guys use Venmo, the social media platform? Yeah, a lot of you guys. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting uh, platform. I use it, and uh, I use it differently after a story I'm getting ready to share with you. Uh, but Venmo is very interesting because it's a social media payment system, and it's different like others like PayPal or whatever where you just kind of can pay people back or pay, you know, uh, do whatever you need to do. It, it's different in the sense of it records and tracks for everybody what you've done, your spending. Like, it just lays it all out there. Um, and so this guy was talking about how he loves Venmo because it shows him who his friends truly are, like what type of people they really are. Uh, listen to this. He says, Venmo gave a, a telling glance into my friend's social life. 
Instead of carefully filtered Instagram posts and thinly veiled humble brag Facebook updates cobbling together a shiny illusion of my friends' comings and goings, I was seeing their real social lives play out through the emerald-tinted lens of how they spent their money. Seeing these transactions meant it happened monetarily and definitively. Rent, concerts, dinners out, sly descriptions of goods. I love that. And more. Um, He's saying, you know, when it comes to social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, we tend to put our best foot forward, our best face forward. We want to present ourselves, manicured and all, to the world. We want to propose in such a way that, that we, in ways that our friends see what we want them to see. But uh, when you're, if your friends were able to see what you're spending money on, uh, that's a real authentic view into who you truly are, who I really am. Um, and he was saying, I really love Venmo because it allows me to see my friends as they really are, which, by the way, you probably want to go to your privacy settings later. <laughs> Check Venmo. <laughs> that was my takeaway. And then the sermon thought, okay, in that order. Um, but money is a window into what we worship, what we value and sacrifice for. Uh, and Christ followers in particular, therefore, will seek to foster a heart that gives to the Lord, that makes offering to the Lord in worship with our money. But to think about this practically with you, how much does that mean? Like, how much should this mean when it, when it comes to the biblical direction of being generous that we've talked about? Uh, you know, when, when Proverbs talks about honoring the Lord with our wealth, again, that's Proverbs 3, 9, it's speaking against the backdrop of the biblical tithe. You know, God required Israelites to give 10% of their annual income to the Levites, to the priests, to support the, both the temple and the poor. And God, God saw this proportion of, his, uh, of their wealth as his, even to the point of saying it's not only stingy to withhold that, but actually robbery. If you, look, if you want to look at the wording there, look at Malachi chapter 3. Now, the New Testament, that is the part of the Bible that follows Jesus and later, nowhere explicitly requires a tithe. But in Matthew 23, Jesus actually reprimands listeners, followers of God, who are not willing to actually go above the tithe in order to meet needs. Which actually makes sense, because this is against the backdrop of understanding even more than in Jesus' time, let alone what our ancestors have, how much more we know about God's generosity, love, faithfulness, and power in our own lives because of, because of Jesus. In short, in short, Christian friends, what, what we see in tith- uh, uh, of tithing in the Bible is it's essentially a minimum rule of thumb for Christians uh, to give to the Lord, primarily through the local church as a vehicle, as imperfect as it may be, to allow the community of believers to be a city on the hill to a source of hope and light, uh, not only meeting needs here and now in our community, but also pointing people to the life to come. You know, my father uh, talked about this with, our, with my siblings and myself growing up, and he talked about how uh, the, the tithe of 10%, he said it this way, I'll never forget, is essentially like training wheels for us to understand and help us start to give to the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9 says it this way, that we are, we are to give of our first fruits. That's saying of our first and best to him. I think it's helpful to think about it in the agrarian society that it was. You know, imagine a farmer coming, you know, after, after the harvest of apples. You know, what, what, did that, what would that farmer do in this situation? Would they, like, take all their apples and then go eat what they want to do, give their friends and pay off debts or whatever, and then come back and say, here you go, God? I imagine that would be a lot of imperfect produce uh, that they would be giving. Have you, have you seen imperfectproduce.com? 
It's actually a really cool outfit. All these grocery stores waste tons and tons and tons of food. It's actually really sad because the fruit doesn't look good. It's still edible. Check it out. That's not the sermon. (laughs) Gospel of Christ is. uh, Look, the farmer doing that is not just bringing imperfect produce. It's also, that farmer would also be bringing the stuff that's not really edible, not really. You following me? That's the leftovers. God says, "Bring bring your first fruits. Why? Because he needs it? No. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your first fruits and mine. God doesn't want our money because of that, because he's needy. God wants our money, so to speak, because he wants us. He wants our hearts. Why? Because he is the Lord. He owns it all. He has given it all. He has made us. He has redeemed us even as he provides for us. So if this is true, how do we worship the Lord? You know, I, th- I think the question that becomes pressing in our hearts if we're followers of Jesus, is are we worshiping the Lord with what we have? Are we worshiping him with our first and our best? And by the way, that's not just true of money. Uh, It's true of our time. It's true of our talents. Uh, In fact, it it almost seems to me that if we're giving God our leftovers when it comes to our money, it almost seems that we're probably giving him leftovers in other parts of our life. You know, I was was, uh, going into the office this week, and I was preparing for this, and I ran into uh, Pastor Joel at Trinity Churches, where I office out of in Sunnyvale, and he was just asking me about how I'm doing. I said, hey, you can pray for me. I'm preaching on money this week. Not really looking forward to it. You know, it's not my favorite topic to cover, and he looked at me. He smiled. He said, I'm so excited for you guys. And I'm like, all right, I'll bite. What do you mean? Like, how are you excited for us to talk about money as a church? He said, I'm really excited for you guys. He said, because it seems to me that money, when it comes to the walk of a Christian, is almost like the entry point It's almost like the ground level of where we begin to experience and grow in our relationship with God. He said, not as a pay the price of admission sort of way. And he said, not even in a give and, you know, he'll bless you in return, which is true, but not even in that sort of way. But because this is is where we begin and grow up grow our relationship to experience the true true riches. And he said it this way. He said, said, Jesus said uh, that if, if, if you can't, prove faithful with worldly wealth, how will you prove faithful with true riches? Uh, And I thought, that's really interesting. Uh, He said, I'm really excited for you guys because, you know, you guys get to have the opportunity as a church to really kind of learn and grow in this most fundamental way, in ways like you, David, uh, need to talk about as a little friend. Um, Friends, if you're visiting our church from another church, I hope this is instructive to you. I hope you're able to wrestle through this and think about uh, what this means for you uh, in terms of giving unto the Lord and uh, worshiping him in this way. Uh, We rarely talk about money here at Current. In fact, if this is your first visit or one of your first few visits and you're thinking, boy, does this church just talk about money? No, we don't just talk about money. In fact, if anything, I'm feeling more convicted that I should be talking about it more. Don't worry, I'm not getting ready to do a series on money. Uh, You know, next week is imperfect together. Um, But because the Bible talks so much about money, for the reasons we've been, we've been covering. And, and by the way, if you're here and you don't identify as Christian, I would love for you to just think about in terms of what this means for you. Like, what, how does this actually apply to you? And let me just say, with all frankness and, and authenticity that I can muster, we don't want you to give here. You know, when the offering plates go around the buckets, like, don't give. What, what we long for and desire for you, and for that matter, all of us actually, is that you would experience Jesus, that you would see the goodness of Jesus, you would, you would see Christ, 
in, in the context of what we're talking about today in terms of money, the one who's worthy of giving money to. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying give. I'm just actually saying don't give. But we long for you to see Christ. And if anything, as Cindy mentioned, we just love for you to fill out the connection card, or to be in touch with you, to come alongside and serve and meet needs in the area with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you consider current your home, the question for you and for me is, are we worshiping with our money? Well, actually, we are worshiping with our money. Uh, but the question is, what are we worshiping? Because God wants money, not because he's needy. Uh, he owns the, the, the cattle on a thousand hills, but he wants our money because he wants us. There's a very instructive uh, Actually, I was going to say parable, which, which means a story, that one of the stories Jesus told, but it's actually not a parable. Jesus was hanging out with his disciples in kind of the temple courts, basically think church, and people were kind of bringing their offerings, and Jesus was watching them, like, put money in. Could you imagine, like, if I walked around, I'd never do this, right? Like, buckets going around, I'd be like, okay, you put, you know. Could you imagine? Jesus was watching them. Why? Because they were giving to him. They were giving to him. So he was watching. It was a relational thing. And he, he said, he's, he's like, you guys, guys, you know, followers, 12 guys, I'm investing. You see that gal right there who just gave just a couple of coins? You see her? She, these other guys are coming in and out of their poverty, uh, excuse me, out of their great wealth, they're giving a little bit. But out of her poverty, she's giving so much. What was going on there? He was just delighted in her heart. He was just delighted in who she is and he was he was uh, highlighting that for his disciples in terms of what he wants from us. Um, to get really practical about this, we haven't done so before, so I think this is, this is helpful. Here's what I'd encourage you, if the, again, you call current your home church, to consider as a next step. Because 2 Corinthians 9-7 gives us a great fame, framework for all of this. Uh, Paul writing to the early church said, God loves a cheerful giver, which I love. Because he said, that's to say, if you... Know, if you don't give cheerfully, he'd actually rather you don't give, in a sense. You know, like if, if, you, if you can give cheerfully, great. Now, does that include, does he want us to be sacrificial and give sacrificially? Yeah. Does he want, to give us, want us to give out of obedience if we're followers? Yeah. But he's saying, don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of like this feeling of like heavy obligation. God wants a cheerful giver. So what can this look like for next steps? Here's what I'd suggest to you just real quickly. What could be your next step? What could you prayerfully consider in terms of your next step in all of this? One, if you've never given anything before, maybe your next step to pray for, prayerfully consider is to give something. To give something. And if you have given something, maybe you can prayerfully consider as the next step of giving consistently, like more regularly. Develop a pattern. And then maybe if you've been giving consistently, a next step for you to, to prayerfully consider is to give proportionally. Now, I, I'm very clearly trying not to use the word tithe because the word tithe is not really a part of the equation anymore. Remember, that's kind of like my dad said. It's like the training wheels. It's, some, it's kind of a, 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 a measure of, of thumb to kind of uh, shoot for. You know, in the Old Testament, that was 10%. Uh, but what can we give towards him uh, that is proportional? And giving in this way. Uh, I know many of you guys set up and, and give online as my family does. Uh, you know, that's like kind of looking at the year ahead and saying, okay, God, just based on who you are and what, you, what you're doing in our lives and the provision you give, this is what we're going to give. Um, and then if, if you've been giving proportionally, you could prayerfully consider the next step of giving what I'll call sacrificially. Um, that's, that's really giving above and beyond. That's the widow and her mites, really. Now, I want to be very clear. As I say all of this, I am not suggesting to you this is how you level up in your Christianity. 
you know, like a video game, like this is how you power up. Or, you know, that you, this is how you reach next level and you get the next trophy, you know? Like, hey, just do this. And No. In fact, if you're hearing that, you're mi- I'll have either miscommunicated entirely or you're missing everything entirely because that's not the point in the least. The point here is we give. Why? Out of obligation? No. Cheerfully. Why? Out of worship. Out of response to God's goodness to us and just saying, thank you, Father, and I want to be a part of your things and what you're about. Um, we give, essentially, because God first gave to us, which brings us to this last principle and last thought. Excuse me. Uh, it is wise. So, so, okay, here's, here's the tension. How do we do any of this? You know, you know, we live in an area that's so rich and so miserly, according to the statistics, and even if we search our own hearts, we're like, man, this is, how do we do this? It's not a, 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 a mind over matter type deal. It's not a just feel guilty enough and then you'll start to do it. It's not even present the needs and maybe you'll do it. Um, some of that stuff can help, but ultimately, here's the ultimate power to, get to, to begin to live wisely with money. It's to look to Jesus who gave everything. It's to understand more deeply the gospel um, because the gospel, the true gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is he, get, he had it all and yet he gave it all up for the sake of gaining us and giving us everything. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. The Apostle Paul, writing to the early church, said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's Jesus, the Son of God, who had everything in heaven, the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords, any amount of wealth that we can't even imagine that we would never be able to achieve on our own. He had it all, and he gave it up to do what? To live among us. And did he go into a palace? Was he born into royalty, you know, as a prince or as a king? You know the Christmas story. No, he was born in a manger, into a feeding trough, just to make the point that he was just going to come and live in, even in our terms, poverty. It's interesting, actually, his, his parents, Mary and Joseph, that first year when they went to present their offering to the, at the temple courts, they couldn't even themselves afford the more traditional offering. They had to make a provisional uh, uh, offering based on their poverty. Um, and then when Jesus lived his life, did he live in the, the nice palaces? Where, no. He actually said at one point, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Uh, he was essentially homeless. And then more than any of that, how do we see God that Jesus giving up everything for us, well, that's in seeing him go to the cross where he paid the cost infinitely great for the forgiveness of sins. His body broken, his blood shed, that we could have life in him. True riches, a restored relationship with God. And now, by the way, be freed from the power of money that can, that, that can come over us in our lives and to use money and to see money as something that God blesses us with and blesses us with in order to be a blessing. Uh, that's what the gospel does. And to the extent we understand that more fully, to the extent we'll begin to give more cheerfully. So I'll say to you again, if you're here today and you're hearing a heavy heart or just guilt about it, that's the last thing I want to communicate to you. And in fact, that's the last thing I think the Lord will want to communicate to you. He wants a cheerful giver. So what I'd say to you is look to Jesus and what he's in. Let that melt into your heart. Because the thought here is we get to give. And friends, can I just ask, can we just collectively ask that we pray for our church in this, to do this collectively as a church family, that we would, as, even as a church plant that is not yet self-sustaining, uh, you, that is still in part 
supported by external uh, partners, that we would increasingly we would increasingly follow the Lord in faith in this way ourselves, even as we're increasingly reliant on ourselves to make this happen. Because the ultimate goal here is not to, as a church, make it. You know, to become self-sustaining and be here in a few years, which would be awesome. I love you guys. That's not the goal. The goal is that we would become a church that over the abundance of God's blessing in us, by the way, in such a resource-rich culture, is pouring into the community. Loving, meeting, and serving needs. That's why we spend the money that we do that we don't logically have, you know, as, as we're not even yet self-sustaining for ourselves. That's why we spend money on community events. That's why we give regularly to partners like Project We Hope, serving the homeless in East Palo Alto. That's why we give to Freedom House, an organization that's working with the traffic in the area. That's why we give to Homespot in Greece that's working with Syrian refugees coming in through, through in, into Europe. Uh, that's why we give to these things, even though it doesn't make sense because logically, when we're not self-sustaining ourselves, because we believe that God calls us to trust him with our finances, not only individually, but collectively, and to partner with him to that extent. Uh, I have some really fun news to share with you today, which I don't think is coincidentally happening on this week, that we just happen to be talking about money. This was not planned, but we just happened to, this week, get the opportunity to support our first church plant. Isn't that cool? just happens to be the case. Uh, I met with a church plant. Actually, let's put them, can we put them on the board? This is Akeem, Smith, and Jamie. Uh, Akeem and Jamie Smith, they are awesome people. They're planning a church called Storyline in Oakland. I've just gotten to know them through different, um, through different uh, networks. Uh, they are they're really cool people. I got to have um, uh, lunch with Akeem, and uh, it was really interesting. Uh, we were just getting to, you know, getting to know each other. They're actually having their first soft opening today, so we've got to be praying for them in that. Um, so they're basically where we were like three years ago. And so I got together with him, just got to get to know him a little bit. And he was not trying to fundraise with me, uh, which is funny because in church planning world, if you're in that stage, you, everything, any, anybody who talks, you need to be talking about raising funds. But he didn't do that with me. You know why? Because we're a church plant. He's just like, okay, these people don't have money to give anyways. Um, so he didn't do that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. This is just, it's just God's goodness, okay? This story is just so fun to me. So he wasn't doing any of that, but over the course of the conversation, he was talking about how like, his, their greatest need is to get a truck, which we get because we have a truck. And also, by the way, when we first started out, we were like, oh, we need a truck. How are we going to afford that? And by the way, if you were here in the earliest days, or if you're not, I'm about to tell you, we had a church partner give above and beyond what they were giving us already on the exact week we needed a truck, essentially the exact amount we needed for that truck. And so he was telling me, he's like, yeah, our greatest need is for a truck. I'm like, you know. I didn't say anything to him because we have to do the due diligence. So we went and we, uh, I just I couldn't help, but I was just so excited to share this need with the elders. And the elders passed, passed unanimously that we'd send a one-time gift of $10,000 to support them with that truck. Isn't that an awesome thing in God, in, of God's goodness? Yes, yes, sir. Even as I say that, I mean, I don't mean to over, overdo it here. I get the chills because, friends, that's the goal. We want to give. People have given to us. We, we, you know, we don't want to just like pay it for it. We, we, just want to, we long to, as a church, be about God's kingdom movement. Can we be praying for these guys, by the way, today? And I think they're launching September 15th. Is that right? Yeah, September 15th. Um, let's be praying for them. If you're ever up in Oakland, it's kind of more the downtown area, Jack London. I don't know how well you know that area. So um, uh, check them out and uh, get to know them and just say hi. Um, 
You know, you know, I was also thinking, this, is not, this isn't in my notes what I'm getting ready to tell you. This actually happened to also be a week that a church partner emailed to say, uh, hey, just want to remind you that we're actually rolling off support uh, with you guys. And by the way, that was expected, and it was actually a fun email just to kind of like, like uh, joyfully celebrate what God had been doing over the last three years with that church partner. But I'm sitting here like, I didn't make that connection until this morning, preparing for the sermon. Like, how is that coincidentally happening all the same week that we just happen to be talking about this? Um, I just think that's just a, such a picture of God's goodness. Um, uh, we want to be, as a church, not just around in five years, but doing more and more, increasingly so, for the kingdom. Would we be a church, current family, that stewards our finances so well and so generously, personally and corporately, that it's so contagious that we start to turn around that statistic in the Silicon Valley, known for being so resource-rich and miserly at the same time? Not because, hey, pat ourselves on the back, look at us, what we can do. No, but because of the love of Jesus that we've experienced and that we can't help but give back towards. Uh, we want to use the blessings that God has given us to be a blessing to others. We want to give out of, out of our first and foremost, out of worship. And may this happen increasingly so. Um, may we give sacrificially, may we give generously, may we give joyfully. Thank you, church family, for your, your part in this. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word on money. Uh, thank you for the good. Thank you for helping us understand some of the bad. Father, would you help us in all of this? And, and, and most, most importantly so, we ask that you would let your generosity, your goodness to us in this, go more deeply into our hearts. Because... The only reason why we give or do any of this, the only reason why we're even sitting here today is because of you first loved us. And so we thank you. Lord, protect us against the evils and temptations of money, individually and corporately. Uh, and would you help us just to be a church uh, that so generously and faithfully gives to you and your work and to meet tangible needs in this area. Thank you for the, the groups that you've allowed us to be a part of and give towards. At, and we hope, and with Freedom House, with HomeSpot, and, 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 and others, Lord, would you, would you bless them? Would you meet their needs? And would you not only meet their needs, would you, through them, meet the needs of many others? But thank you for calling us together in this. Lord, we just trust this all into your hands, again, individually and corporately. Would you build your church? We ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.